Welcome to the My Best Mom Friend Podcast. My name is Sandra, and I'm the virtual mom bestie you didn't know you needed. Grab a cup, make yourself comfortable, and allow me to spill the tea on motherhood. Welcome back to the My Best Mom Friend Podcast. Today, I had the pleasure to sit down with the birth trauma mama. She has an account where she speaks candidly all about, you guessed it, birth trauma. As a survivor of a very, very traumatic birth experience, she shares her story with us and I get into so many deep questions with her for the moms listening that have experienced birth trauma. This is a heavy episode. This is your trigger warning. We obviously talk about traumatic birth experiences, her near-death experience, um, a couple examples of my personal friends that have experienced birth trauma. I very briefly touch on miscarriage. So if you are not in the headspace to hear this content today, then please, 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 I urge you to not listen on any further. Otherwise, I hope that you enjoy this episode and find it insightful, so let's dive in. So I am sitting here with Kaylee Summers from The Birth Trauma Mama today. Thank you so much for being here. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So I personally did not experience what I would consider birth trauma, but I know that a lot of my followers and listeners have, and I feel like it's something that is not as commonly talked about, I think for a variety of reasons, right? Like maybe you are in some sort of way like ashamed or scared to talk about it because you're so traumatized and you feel like no one will really understand, or there's this whole thing of like, we want to be honest, but then it scares other moms, right? So we don't want to be too honest with our experience. So I just think it's important that there are accounts like you that are helping the many moms that have experienced birth trauma. And I think it's important to talk about. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's definitely a complicated topic. And it's nice to have a community where we can openly talk about it, where we're like, hey, this is birth trauma. If if you're coming into this space, we're going to be talking about traumatic things and just know that as you come in and it makes everyone sort of have that level playing field and feel okay talking about these things that maybe have been stigmatized or more taboo for them in the past. And so if you're tuning in right now, if you didn't already gather from the title of the episode, this could be a slightly triggering episode. So this is your trigger warning. (laughs) If you're not in the headspace to listen to this, please come back another time. And and I think that at least from my experience with my girlfriends personally, you know, my real life friends, many of them, most of them experience birth trauma. I feel like I am one of the only ones that didn't. So I think it's probably a lot more common than we realize. And again, we just don't talk about it enough. So do you want to start by sort of defining what birth trauma is? Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, to your point about how common it is, I mean, we're seeing about one in three individuals are perceiving their birth as traumatic. So that's a ton. If you're sitting in a room with 
you know, three other people, it's likely one of you have experienced a traumatic birth to your point about looking around at your friends and noticing that they're all sort of experiencing some sort of trauma in their birth. And that brings me to what is birth trauma? Um, And I'm thankful that I think now we're starting to get to the point where we're understanding that birth trauma is not just what we call maternal near misses or severe complications. That is one piece of what can cause birth trauma, Um, but really it's any distressing event that occurs during your birth. Um, And when we talk about perinatal trauma, that's like the big umbrella for trying to conceive, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, because trauma can happen throughout any of those um, experiences. And so it's any piece of your experience that you experienced as distressing. And so that's what makes trauma subjective. Is that something that occurs during your birth may be experienced by you as not traumatic at all. And I could experience the same thing during my birth and be traumatized by it for a plethora of different reasons. And so we see things like complications, of course, can increase the risk of trauma. We also see treatment by providers, mistreatment by providers, care that didn't feel compassionate, empathetic, trauma-informed, any sort of coercion, um, sort of that stripping of humanity, any of these things can create a situation that increases the risk for someone to experience their birth as traumatic. Right. And I think trauma, regardless of what type of trauma it is, is all subjective. And it's important to remember it's not a comparison game, right? So you may say, oh, I feel like this was traumatic, but hers was worse. So I shouldn't feel this way, right? Like it's, there's no comparing. There, there isn't because it actually is the way that our brain reacts to the experience. And so no matter what the trauma is, our brains are reacting in similar ways. The event is not the same, but how our brain encodes that memory as traumatic is actually quite a similar process, which means it's going to have similar impacts. Um, so again, can, we can't really compare the event itself. As I like to say when people, my favorite metaphor is if you've experienced a traumatic birth for whatever the reason, your house is on fire, right? Your brain is on fire. And when our house is on fire, we don't look out our front door and say, well, who else, who else's house is on fire worse than mine, right? We put out our fire. We do everything we can to give ourselves the support that we deserve to put out our own fire. That's very well said. I love that. I'm going to use that for every type of trauma. You should. You should. I love it. It's my favorite metaphor. I love that. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. I did ask my Instagram followers to ask, you know, whatever questions that they had for you. And that was one of them. Just, you know, can a, what you might deem to be a non-traumatic birth still be traumatic? Like if they feel like they shouldn't be traumatized by it. So we started this by me saying I didn't have a traumatic birth. And truthfully like I didn't everything went smoothly but I still felt a certain way after the fact I don't know if it's sometimes like if you have an expectation of how it will be and it's not that way or it's more painful than you think it will be or whatever it may be that it can just I don't know like for me I'm pretty sure my epidural stopped working Mm -hmm. and the pain was excruciating and it and it was also like for a minute, I felt like I wasn't listened to, I guess, because mm-hmm. the nurse had last checked me and I was like seven or eight centimeters. 
And it was maybe, I don't know, 10 o'clock at night. And she was like, I'll come back sometime around 1 or 2 a.m. to check you again. And I, the pain was just excruciating. And I told my husband, I was like, something's not right. This is not normal. Like, get the nurse. And she was like, oh, wow, you're at 10 centimeters. Like, baby's coming. So it's like, it's also about trusting your your gut, right? And And advocating for yourself and making sure people are listening. Yeah, which is a really hard ask when you're laboring. Um, and so that that's hard too, right? Like we want people to advocate for themselves and also set up support people and teams to help them advocate because sometimes it's impossible when you're in the middle of labor, like you're explaining. I mean, my point just is that it it was not traumatic, you know, technically. After the fact and the, the days following, I just felt so battered and broken yeah. in a way, right? Like not how I expected to feel post-birth, it still left me feeling some sort of negative way. Yeah. And there's such a continuum, right, to our emotions related to our birthing experience, right? I, I don't remember exactly who. It might have been Ina Mae Gaskin, but I, I don't know who said this quote, but it was something like, we will, you know, a woman will never forget the way that she was made to feel during her birth. Mm-hmm positive, negative, a whole mix. Like we will never forget it because it was such a vulnerable time. Um, And so whether you experience trauma or not, there's likely to be a lot of intense feelings related to your experience. And really the labeling of what you experienced is up to you. And it's, it's personal to you. If you feel like you were traumatized, then you were traumatized, right? And I think a quote that I often say is, not all birth is traumatic because I don't agree with that blanket label where we're just like, oh, well, birth is really hard, so it must all be traumatic for everyone. Not all birth is traumatic, but all birth trauma is valid. So anyone who feels like they were traumatized by their birth, they were. Yeah. And you are entitled to feeling how you feel about your experience, and you're valid in that. You're so right. So I definitely hope that that helps other moms that are going through this right now feel seen and, and understood. But you know, just from, like I said, my experience with all of my girlfriends to me, again, and not to scare anyone, but birth is not a walk in the park. Birth can be, it it can be beautiful and it can also be dangerous and scary. And so like the example that I will give, and I know this is a very, um, a very serious example. And it's more of like a one in a million chance. I think, um, one of my best friends, she had, um, placenta. Krita. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't know how rare is that? It's not super common, right? I don't know the exact numbers on placenta accreta, but yeah, no, it's not something that's like, you know, one in 10 or anything like that. Right. Right. So I'm just, I'm giving that disclaimer not to scare anyone, but so she had a normal pregnancy. She went into birth and, you know, she's texting me that she's on the way to the hospital and just having seen from all my girlfriends, having had emergency C-sections, I was just like, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of you and, you know, like, good luck. I hope it's a safe, healthy, you know, labor. And she almost kind of like laughed at my text. Like, what do you mean? Like, I'm going to go in and, and give birth vaginally and everything will be fine. You know, I'll text you in a few hours. <laughs> and then I didn't hear from her for 24, 48 hours and reached out to her family to find out that she actually almost died, um, hemorrhaged yeah. so severely, needed an emergency C-section and then needed an emergency hysterectomy to save her life. So I realize that's, again, a very extreme example, but like that is, it's a reality though. Yeah. Well, you know, my story, I had a very rare complication. I had an amniotic fluid embolism. 
So I expected like your friend to sort of go in, have my baby leave. And I was even like, he's, he seems big. I might have a C-section. I'd be okay with it. All of those things. Um, when I was 10 centimeters, I told my nurse that I wasn't feeling well. And she was like, yeah, transition. Exactly like you described. You were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. This doesn't feel good. And I said, no, something is really wrong. And she looked at the monitors and then I started screaming that something was wrong with my heart. And so I went into cardiopulmonary arrest. So my heart stopped. I stopped breathing when I was 10 centimeters. And so code blue was called. CPR was started. I was sent to the OR with my baby inside me still. Um, and so they were able to get him out within like six minutes of my code. Wow. So I was not alive when he was born. So CPR was continued on me while he was born, unfortunately. And so no one was in the room except for my medical team. I was not alive. So he didn't get to really like meet his family. Um, and I had an amniotic fluid embolism, which is super rare. Um, so like one in 40,000 and they are like unpredictable and unpreventable similar. Like sometimes you, you can know when there's a placenta accreta, but it's often hard to tell and you show up and you think you're just going to have a normal birth similarly to, um, AFE. And again, like you said, this isn't to scare people. These are very rare events. Um, about a hundred AFEs will happen per year in the almost 4 million births that we see. And so it was a long process for us. And so CPR continued. I needed ECMO. I needed a hysterectomy. I needed lots of interventions, lots of surgeries. I was in a coma for five days. Um, so I didn't get to meet my son until five days after he was born. Um, and so that whole process, I spent another two weeks in the ICU um, and then was, was able to go home. Um, and so there was definitely a lot of mixed feelings about that experience and what that means for, um, you know, postpartum and not getting to choose to have more than one child and just all of the emotions that one has to go through. And like we said, there, there's such a large continuum of birth trauma. And so obviously this is a severe complication, but it's not the only kind of birth trauma that there is. It's, and that's why I started the community that I started because I wanted everyone to be able to sort of have a space where they feel seen and validated for what they've been through and the experiences that they've had. Mm -hmm. That's it's like a heavy story. I could cry sitting here with you. Yeah. yeah, I mean that is that is severe, and I cannot imagine for you or anyone else that's gone through something like that what what that feels like. And so you can answer a lot of the questions that my best friend has, right? Yeah. Which is just that you know she has a lot of of grief about not having to have gotten to experience those first intimate moments right of her husband meeting the baby of her getting to meet the baby or breastfeeding right away the first diaper changed so many so many firsts that she missed out on so how do you kind of navigate that loss or like feeling like how do you like not let the joy of your child being born be overshadowed by the trauma you experienced yeah it's a tough question um i don't know that you do at first i don't i don't know that you do 
And this, this is one of the really hard things about birth trauma, especially when you're missing those moments. I think there are about like 50 people who met my baby before me, like at least 20 to 30 who held him before me. And I am so grateful that they did that and gave him the comfort that he needed. But also like as a mom, who carried that baby for nine months. It is heartbreaking. And the loss stays with you, right? Just as all grief does. And for the first probably year, the trauma absolutely won out. There was nothing I could do about it. I was experiencing PTSD. We don't have control over that. And everyone will say like, at least you and the baby survived. Um, in my case, like AFEs do have quite a high mortality rate. And so, you know, a couple of months later, a woman my same age, same sort of life situation died of an AFE. And so I'm sitting here angry and sad. Like I can't be angry and sad, I got to live. And I think that is often how a lot of people feel. And then everyone will be like, well, just make sure you soak up every second. Make sure you really just relish in the joy. And if you can do that, great. But it's pretty impossible when you're experiencing flashbacks and you are sitting in trauma to be like, oh, but this is so wonderful and I love being here in this moment. It doesn't feel like that. And once we accept that, we're able to work more towards actually feeling genuine gratitude and joy because we start to heal the trauma piece. And that's what I recognized after. I mean, I didn't bond with my son for probably like the first six months. And so that was really hard too. And that's common after birth trauma is, you know, especially when you're separated from your baby, they like handed him to me. And I remember everyone was like, so excited that I was meeting him and I was excited. And also internally, I was like, this isn't my baby. He yeah. looks nothing like me. He's, he was 11 pounds when he was born. He was 10, 14. So I'm like, he's, this is not my baby. Like, I don't know who this is. I don't know what nursery he came from, but I'll keep pretending like it's my baby so that none of you people think I'm crazy, but this does not feel like my baby. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And when my, my best friend had her baby first handed to her, it was like, here's your, your healthy baby girl. Mm-hmm. And oh, by the way, she'll be your only one. Oof. And that still makes me want to cry every time yeah. I've said that out loud to anyone, because I mean, that again, it just, it takes away your baby having just been born because yeah. maybe you wanted two or three. And now that option is off the table and granted it was to save your life and and I think it's hard too if you're going through that type of severe trauma because you are not you're not conscious to make those decisions right like that's your partner is making those those calls for you and of course you you know you want to live and so that's it's the right choice but that's a lot to deal with when you wake up it is it is and to that point I remember my husband had to make that decision which it's not really a decision. It's awful. Um, and I, my best friend was there and she went over to him and he was obviously going to sign it anyway, but she was just like, she would want the chance to live. Like you, you have to sign it. And that moment is still just like gut wrenching to consider. Um, but yeah, waking up for the first time, that's the first memory I have is my OB and my, I ended up being transferred to a hospital that could maintain ECMO, so a higher level hospital. And my OB and my anesthesiologist from my code and delivery came and sat with me and like on either side and told me everything that had happened, including the hysterectomy, which 
um, I very much appreciated them doing that so that my family didn't have to, and so that it could be all of sort of the factual bullet point medical information. And then I could move forward from those facts, understanding what had happened to me. Well, so that brings me to another point, which is something that's not talked about as much, uh, which is just helping your partner with your birth trauma, the spousal birth trauma aspect of having to be a bystander to, you know, you potentially losing your life or your child's life and and how to support. So we're getting to get into how to support our partners too, but then of course, how to support us as the moms who actually physically experience this trauma. Yeah, I think this is tricky. I think one to answer the the part about getting support, obviously for yourself, therapy, finding community, understanding that it doesn't matter what happened. It does to you and your story, but if it felt traumatic, if it felt distressing, if it felt awful, you deserve support for that. And you deserve to seek out therapy, support groups, communities where you can talk about this and not be told to like stop scaring other pregnant women um, and to stop telling your horror story or whatever it is that people say. Um, finding those spaces, finding those people that you can vent to that get you and understand. And then on, on the partner side of things, birth trauma in a couple is so hard because often you have two people who are traumatized in two different ways, trying to cope with that trauma differently while sometimes raising a newborn if you were able to bring that baby home. And so, it's trauma soup is what I like to say. And oftentimes this is not the answer people love, but if you are traumatized yourself, you cannot actually be the support for your partner. It doesn't mean you can't like love each other and be in it together, and, but you probably don't have the mental space, the capacity to be traumatized yourself and then also support your partner in their trauma. Mm-hmm. And knowing that that's okay and having a transparent conversation about that would have saved me and my husband so much strife because we really struggled. I had no space for him and he, I had no space for him to be traumatized at all, um, which is not fair, but was just, you know, where I was at at the time, very much like this happened to me. It happened to my body. You were not physically affected and you don't get to have feelings. I need to take up all the space. Mm -hmm. um, and so, of course, he had feelings and needed to be able to have those feelings. I actually made him come on my podcast, not made him. He, <laughs> he agreed. Um, and we talked all about this because I get so many questions about, like, how do I get my partner to get help? Like, how do I how do I support them? And sometimes I will suggest that people um, I'm a licensed therapist myself, and I will suggest that people bring their partner into their individual therapy session if their partner is like, well, I don't want to do couples work. I don't want to do my own therapy. I don't know what it's like. I'm weirded out by it. You can bring them into your own therapy to just like talk about a couple of things related to your relationship and the birth and give them a taste of like, this is what therapy looks like. It's not scary. We're just sitting here talking. Um, and so sometimes that can be helpful in getting them the push that they need to get the support that they deserve too. Yeah, that's a great idea. Or or doing it as a couple, right? Because yes. it's, like you said, it affected you both. And that it's interesting because as you know, I talk a lot about marriage after baby yes. and the struggles that it it can bring and and it's a lot. I think 
most couples have some level of strife, whether you want to admit it or not, because it is such an upheaval to your relationship. But so having that added layer of trauma, I can't even imagine, or like a NICU baby or like how you were still in the ICU. I can't imagine that added layer and what that does to you as a couple and the stress of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, it's really hard. And I'm sure you've also talked to your best friend about that and what that's been like for her. And I'm sure that that has given you some, some insight too. I mean, being a new parent in general is just hard. We all can understand that and value that. And yeah, trauma sometimes does add another layer to that as well. I mean, and what I was, I was trying to tell her the other day when we were talking about this, she's, she's a year and a half, almost two years postpartum now. So it's, it's been, you know, she's had some space, but I was telling her that, you know, and I hope this doesn't come off like toxic positivity, but I was like, I hear you how you're so sad that you missed all of these firsts. And I was like, I gave birth vaginally and it was technically not traumatizing, but I kind of also felt like, wait, this isn't my baby. Like I didn't feel connected right away. They put him on my chest. So thankfully I had the ability to have that experience, but I was so out of it. I was just so not mentally there. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, And my husband, I kind of had him take the lead on all the first diaper changes and I don't know. So I was like, I had the opportunity to have those firsts, And like, I still also didn't, I don't know, fully appreciate them or take advantage of them. If that makes any sense. You couldn't though. It sounds like it wasn't like a choice. You you couldn't, your brain space was not allowing you to at that time. And I think we as a society have really high and sometimes unrealistic expectations for what those first moments meeting our child will be like without trauma, um, just in general. And it's like a, a sack of potatoes just came out of you and you're supposed to be like, oh my God, this is the best thing I've ever seen that's ever happened to me after your body being like ravaged. And yeah. So I think a lot of people feel that way. And then, yeah, there's the other part of like, if you totally miss that time or if there's there's trauma involved in that, that adds exactly like we said, sort of just a, another layer. Yeah, we're, we're expected to give birth and start crying like in a Hallmark movie and like, oh my gosh, my baby. And I did not feel that way at all. And then I felt guilt for not feeling that way. And I already felt like a bad mom. Like, I don't know. It's, Yeah. Oh, so I don't know if what I said actually made her feel better or anyway. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you can always just ask her. There's different, yeah. different people need different things. Yeah. So then, so she and one of my other best friends are dealing with the same feeling, but slightly differently. So one of them now obviously can no longer have babies. So she is feeling with the guilt that comes with that, even though her body just now physically will not let her have any more kids having gone into, you know, her marriage and life wanting more than one. So that guilt. And then I have another girlfriend who had a very traumatic C-section and had really bad postpartum depression from it. And I think also PTSD. And so her and her husband had planned to have two, three, four kids. I don't know the exact number. And now she feels all this guilt of like, well, I promised you this when we got married and now I just cannot, I cannot do it again for fear of this happening again. And so they're both dealing with the same guilt and fear of like resentment, I think. Mm. So how, how do you deal with that? 
Do you mean resentment from their partner? Yeah. Yeah. I definitely in in that context would recommend couples counseling um, to talk through some of those concerns and some of those fears. Um, on the like guilt side of it, I highly recommend when they are open to it or able to sort of take that that in is to consider following some pages like uh, Only You Community. Um, there's some other one and done pages. Um, I plan to have not one child um, and I was not willing to consider not having one child. Like I would scorch the earth to do surrogacy or something um, until it just is not something that's really going to work out for us. And then I opened the door to considering like, okay, well, what would life look like if um, we only had one child? And I really had to separate out like my wants. Like I want to have more than one child. That's what I planned on from the weird sort of societal BS about only children mm -hmm. um, and the pressures of having more than one child and and even just the like, well, this is what I'm supposed to do um, is have more than one child and separating it out some of that stuff. So my grief and my loss is still there and I still am so sad and I'm almost my son's almost four um, and I will be have a loss and a grief for the rest of my life around not being able to have more than one child. But I am now at a point where I can also see the like advantages and the joy of being able to like give my son everything. And so definitely something I work through a lot in therapy. Yeah. Because there's, there's a lot of layers there, but definitely my husband and I went through a lot of couples therapy related to having only one child and what that means. Yeah. Well, you know that we're one and done as well. Yeah. So, so yeah. And, and that is just really because postpartum was so challenging. Yeah. The depression piece, the anxiety piece. And sometimes I'm like, come on, Sandra, like you could do this again if you really wanted to. But then I, it, there's so many other layers. Like, I just don't feel like I have the mental capacity for more than one. I feel like I can be a better mom to just one. Yes. So, I mean, Thankfully, you know, I have the choice, which I don't take for granted because many women due to infertility or, you know, like birth trauma, they don't have a choice. Um, so I don't take that for granted. But that's another thing she and I were speaking about the other day of like not just the guilt of not providing another child for your you know, husband or partner, but also to not have that sibling for your child. And she was like, I already think about her. So her daughter is one and a half, almost two. She's like, I already think about like that conversation one day and what I'm going to tell her. And, you know, I, I basically just said, I'm, I'm going to have to do, have the same conversation with my son, except mine was more my choice, right? Your choice was taken from you. And I was like, I wish you weren't already so, so anxious and worried about this, you know, cause this is still years down the road that she'll probably ask. And I think my answer would just be that, you know, like, like baby mommy's body just can't have another one. And all I need is you and like focus in on how special your baby, your one child is. Right. And I don't know. Have you thought about what that conversation would sound like? Yeah. Yeah. I thought about it a lot. I, you know, it will definitely be some version of that. I also think there's something to be said about like validating 
his emotions. Like it is probably sad that you can't have a sibling. Mommy feels sad too about that. Yeah. And that's okay. We can feel sad about that. Um, and know that, you know, that's, we have all these other things that also are a really good part about that and your cousins and this and that without, you know, so honoring and validating the feelings of like, yeah, that must be hard to see your other friends having, you know, baby sisters, baby brothers, and for that not to be something that you get to have. Yeah. And while also, of course, like, we're going to do some great things as a family of three. And exactly to your point, that feeling of, you know, I don't think I would have ever been able, if, if I was able to have more kids, I would have just been on a one track mind because like, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is what I grew up with. This is what everyone does. And so there is a part of this that gave me a pause to be like, again, I'd never ask for a hysterectomy, but it gave me a pause to be like, well, why am I, why am I trying so hard to have another kid? Like why, what's my point here? Because again, to your point, the mental capacity, like, I don't think I could have another kid right now if I was able to. Mm -hmm. Um, and so again, there's, there's a lot to consider around this question, but the guilt about not giving my son another sibling following a lot of other moms like your space who, who have, who are one and done, even if it's a choice, um, like Jess from only you community. She's, she's, she's always like, it's so weird that people think I should have another kid to give my kid a playmate. Like how yeah. weird is that? I'm like, yeah, it, it is, is weird, weird. <laughs> but we've been conditioned to believe that. Right. Like how, Oh my God. And, and, and there's nothing where I don't want to criticize people who feel that way. Cause I have, and still every now and then feel like, Oh, I wish he had a sibling. One, we're assuming that they'll get along. And we know that there are siblings who are grown adults who never talk to each other and yeah. right going on a, on a bit of a tirade but basically it it's an odd societal thing to be like oh i'm gonna have another child to give my child a playmate and then you have other things like you have a vision of like the age gap and then perhaps you you struggle with infertility or you know you you suffer a miscarriage and then that's gone like that's happened yeah. to one of my other best friends now is she's had two miscarriages and that entire like vision of how she pictured her family unit, like age wise for the siblings is gone. And, you know, that's trauma, like you said, traumatic too. It, it's all stages of um, perinatal, you know, the journey of that. Yeah. I feel like we're going on a tangent, but it is a big part of it, right? Like yes, it is. they're not having more by choice or because your body won't allow you to. Yeah, absolutely. Oh man. There's a lot to it. So then what about if you have had a traumatic birth experience, how do you go into your next pregnancy if you do decide to have another one without being consumed by that anxiety? And like, I guess, again, I know you're not like a doctor in the, you know, OBGYN world, but what what is the statistic of then having another traumatic birth experience? Great question. I don't know that I don't know that we have data on subsequent traumatic experiences because they're so wide ranging and they're so subjective. Um, that's a good question, though. I'll have to look into that. But we know a couple of things. We know that the expectation can't necessarily be to not feel nervous or scared or anxious consumed was a great word we don't want people to feel consumed by the anxiety and continuing to have trauma responses throughout 
um, pregnancy. So definitely working to reprocess that trauma through whatever way works for you, like somatic experiencing therapy, EMDR, mm-hmm. whatever way um, feels feels best for you to reprocess that trauma and heal the trauma piece of it. That's not going to take away, you know, once we pull back the curtain on like bad things can happen during pregnancy and birth, we can't unpull the curtain. So we can't trick your brain into thinking that nothing bad could ever happen because it already did. Right. And so your brain is like, excuse me, we're going back. You're putting us back into the same exact situation where we got traumatized. Absolutely not. I refuse. Yeah. And that's where all that anxiety comes from. So absolutely having a therapist that you're talking with this through supporting you through that pregnancy. And then there's the logistical side of things. What does your support team look like? How have you built your, you know, if it's an OBGYN or midwife care, what does that look like? How are they supporting you? Do they know about your past experience? What are they talking about that will help mitigate your fear around your future experience? And what do you want in your birth? What do you not want in your birth? You know, I I work with clients a lot on specific experiences and then broadening that out to general themes of how you want to be cared for in your birthing environment Mm -hmm. and working with them to either hire doulas or figure out what that support can look like within their, you know, financial ability and all of that good stuff. So there's definitely the emotional work around healing the trauma, preparing emotionally for another birth. And there's the logistical piece of controlling the controllables, which we all know birth, we cannot control it fully. And so there is always a chance that you will have another traumatic birth. That is just a fact of the matter. And there's also a chance that you could have a really healing subsequent experience. Um, We just won't know. And so you have to be willing to, to sort of take that risk. Yeah. Well, I wish for everyone listening that has had a traumatic experience that their second or third is more healing. And that they can have more of what they envisioned their birth experience to be because, and that's the other thing I always say, don't go into motherhood with too many expectations because it really does rob you of so much joy when things don't turn out exactly as you planned, you know, and like birth plans, I think are great to have. But like you said, there's so many things and factors that we can't control that it's so important to remember to be flexible as much as you can. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's, there's such a balance between, you know, you, you get to have like expectations of your birth generally. Um, we, of course, right. Being treated like a human, like be like kind, compassionate care. Like you get to have those expectations, but around things like how you're going to give birth, if there's an emergency, if there's a complication, how, yeah, planning those things out. Um, even though they're not fun to think about, um, that's what I always talk about. Like, very unlikely that something like what happened to me will happen to you, but it would have been really helpful for my family who handled everything beautifully to have known like what I want to happen if I'm unconscious. Yeah. Um, and we don't talk about those things cause they're scary and I get it, but it's, it's worth it. It is scary. It, it definitely is. And we don't want to scare women because birth is also, it can be very empowering and, and like I said, beautiful. Yeah. It's, there's an interesting thing that happens with pregnant individuals that I find. And I know there are people that, you know, you need to protect your peace. So if you're seeing in your feed things that are like scary and they don't feel good to you, block, unfollow, mute, whatever you need to do um, to protect your peace. If someone is sort of like word vomiting their birth trauma story saying like, hey, can you pause? I'm I'm dealing with a lot of, you know, 
uh, anxiety right now. And I also think we have to be really careful not to infantilize pregnant women. Like these are like the facts are these complications happen. Preeclampsia is not super rare, right? And that's a complication that happens. These accretas, AFE, like these things are more rare, but the facts of life are that they do exist. And so we can't bury our heads completely in the sand. And we also don't want to be consumed by all of the terrible, awful things that can happen. So finding that balance between like, if a complication were to arise, what does that look like for you and your support team? And also the hope is that you're going to have a beautiful, empowering, wonderful birth experience and planning for that. Well, and I think to continue this thought, if you did have a traumatic experience the first time going into that second pregnancy, obviously your doctors are very I would hope mindful of what you've gone through, double, triple check everything, run whatever tests that need to be ran, have everything prepared. Like I know for my friend, if she were to have babies, be able to have babies again, um, I know one big thing that would help would now already be having, you know, bags of of blood for transfusions readily available, right? Should that happen again? So there are obviously things that I would, I would think and hope that you're your doctors and care team would be taking into consideration to try to mitigate as much of the trauma the next time as possible without, you know, knowing what will really happen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Part of it's on sort of the the doctor side of things, the complication side of things. And then if you feel traumatized by the treatment you received, it's about reorganizing what your team looks like and not that that should be on you, but it it ends up being on you and choosing a different provider and choosing a different maybe place to birth if your experience was traumatic based on the care that you received. So can you talk a little bit about that? Because I had a lot of questions about just kind of like dealing with the aftermath of feeling like maybe you weren't asked consent for certain procedures or like the medical staff wasn't communicating very well with you and your family. Because I know that can leave a lot of of new parents feeling some sort of way. Yeah, absolutely. It can be traumatizing. Again, you're in such a vulnerable state. And so if your consent was not asked for certain things, um, if you were brushed off, if again, you were treated as like sort of subhuman or you were ignored, um, which we unfortunately see um, in a lot of birth trauma, that can be so devastating. And so I want to validate that if that happened to you, that is not a small thing. Um, that is your birth experience and you deserved for it to be led with compassionate and kind and empathetic care. And so really validating that this could have been a traumatic experience for you, regardless of complications or not, um, and that you deserve support. So getting into therapy, being able to talk about this stuff, especially because in these circumstances, we often see so many people around that person saying, but you're fine. At least you and the baby are healthy like your life wasn't at risk. What do you mean you don't feel good about your birth? Yeah, birth is hard, whatever, right? They have so many of those messages coming in that they then don't feel like they have the space to have the feelings that they deserve to have. And so getting into therapy, finding a community that does talk about this stuff, that is willing to give space to those Mm -hmm. feelings is so, so important when trying to recover from this. Changing providers is, is gonna be a big thing too. Sometimes I'll have people ask me about getting a like debrief with that provider. Um, This comes up a lot in this space. And my question is always like, what is your goal? 
Mm -hmm. If your goal is to learn more about what happened during your birth, 100% sounds great. If your goal is to get that provider to apologize to you or own up to the way that they treated you, not, not something I would suggest doing because I, because you're going to go in and already sort of, uh, for lack of a better word, a fragile state and to then have them continue to invalidate your experience by not apologizing or by not owning the way they spoke to you or the way they treated you. It's like a one, two punch. Um, and it's not what you need for, for your healing. Um, and so again, kind of weighing the risks and benefits there and what your goal is with going in to see your provider to talk through the birth. Yeah. I think that's a really great disclaimer because I do feel like probably a lot of women want some sort of explanation or understanding or even apology. Mm -hmm. And yeah, just, yeah, I think that's a really, really good point to make. It's probably better to have that conversation with a therapist to really talk through the emotions. And that's where I always recommend whether you have birth trauma or not, I recommend having a therapist appointment lined up for like three or four weeks postpartum after the baby blues phase, you know, you pass that because as you know, like it can take well over a month to get in as a new patient, well over a month. And if, if you're struggling with PTSD, postpartum depression, anything like that, and, and perhaps you do want to go like the route of maybe taking antidepressants, right? It can take a long time to get in with a specialist for that. And it takes several more weeks for the medication to work. So then you are in this deep, dark hole for two months, maybe right before you start to feel any sort of relief or get help. So I always recommend making that appointment, like the same time you're looking for a pediatrician, schedule a therapy appointment. And if you feel great at three weeks postpartum, just cancel it if you don't want to do it, right? Like you don't lose anything, but it's it's interesting because so again, I did not have a super traumatic experience giving birth and I had really bad postpartum depression and anxiety. My best friend who had the most traumatic experience, I'm sure she had some PTSD. We haven't really talked about that, but I, having had given birth prior to her and gone through, you know, the the darkness of postpartum depression, constantly checked in on her mental health. Like, how are you really doing? Are you sure you're okay? Granted, there are a lot of things she had to process, right? Like, this is her only child. Like, this is this traumatic thing that happened. So, like, things to process. But overall, like, she did not fall into a postpartum depression spiral. And I almost didn't believe her because I was like, wow, like, I didn't go through something traumatic, but my brain just, like, you know, yeah. granted, there's so, there's so much more to it than just situational things causing course, <laughs> your brain yeah. to react a certain way. But, yeah, I mean, you just – you don't know – if you're going to have a traumatic birth, you don't know what your mental health will be, be like postpartum. You could have been the happiest person before you gave birth. Never, you know, a mental health issue, nothing, but you just never know. So I think it's great to have something lined up just in case. Yeah, I agree. Also, just being a new parent, you could do some therapeutic support, yeah. even if you don't have a diagnosable mental health condition, just talking to someone about the massive transition to becoming yeah. a parent. Yeah. And there's so much more too. like being a parent brings up things from your own past and childhood yes. that you think that you've, you know, neatly packed away. And then it just all comes exploding back out of those suitcases. So yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So then let me just also ask you, so how do you advocate for yourself when you are in that vulnerable position, you know, in the hospital, wherever you're giving birth, 
and things are being pushed on you, how do you advocate for yourself if you feel like you don't really have a voice? Yeah. So this actually, I personally think has to happen in the prep phase um, because to bank on being able to advocate for yourself while you're in labor, I think is it's tough. It's a tough ask, especially when you, again, we don't have control over how your labor is going to go. We don't know what your, what mental state you're going to be in at that time. We don't know any of these things. So of course we want to empower you to advocate for yourself. Um, but I'm also going to empower people to create a plan for when things don't feel good, but you do not feel like you can advocate for yourself, either a code word that you can say to your partner or your doula or, you know, something, something that can be communicated to your support people in the room. That is like, you need everyone to stop and pause, which is a very easy, like someone takes control, either the partner or the doula, if you have a doula and says, I need everyone hands off, pause for five seconds. And even in like an emergent situation, if the patient isn't actively dying, like you, mm-hmm. you can pause for five seconds yeah. um, to make decisions. And so really having a plan in place for if you are not in a place to advocate for yourself, what that can look like. And then in advocating for yourself, if you are able to, I think it's a lot of education around birth, around what you want your birth to look like, trying not to live in like a complete echo chamber. Um, and by that, I mean, like, I love the idea of hypnobirthing. I think it's wonderful for pain and getting into that like flow state of doing labor. And I think people are amazing and do that. And it's great. And I think I know a lot of people who have come out of traumatic births after hypnobirthing that believe that they did something wrong because their body was made to do this. Mm -hmm. And all they had to do was believe in their body and not fear and everything would work out okay. And so knowing that, yeah, a lot of the times our body is made to do this. And a lot of the times like we've got this, we've just got to trust ourselves. And sometimes that doesn't happen and that's okay too. Um, And so knowing again, that it's not all rainbows and butterflies all the time that doesn't mean that you did anything wrong. That doesn't mean there's anything wrong with your body. It just means that just in the regular run of life, when people get things like diabetes, it's not their fault, right? right? It just happens and they need a little extra help. The same thing can happen with birthing complications. Sometimes you just need a little extra help and that's okay too. And so back to the original point of just advocating for yourself, knowing what you want out of your birth experience, knowing what does not feel okay to you, especially with just like attitudes in the room. Like, I don't want you in my birth space. This doesn't feel good to me. What you're bringing in does not feel good. And being able to honor that for yourself and know that while medical providers are experts in the medical field and they are wonderful and very big pro OBGYN, you are the expert on your own body. Mm -hmm. And you will always know your own body the best. Right. I don't care if you're a first time mom. I don't care if it's the fourth time, you know what your body feels like, what it's supposed to feel like when something is off way better than anyone else. And so like you and I both had that 10 centimeter experience of like, okay, something's not right for me. It was just that baby's coming and they had told me no baby isn't coming for a while. Right. And for you, it was obviously something very extreme and, and complicated, but to listen to yourself. Yeah which is really hard. 
as a first time mom. And it's really hard when there's so much rhetoric around like, oh, sweetie, you're a first time mom. Yeah. Oh, you've never done this before. So you don't know exactly how it's going to feel, but it's going to be like X, Y, and Z. Or no, you're not in labor yet. I have so many friends who have been told like over the phone, like you're not in labor yet. You you're confused because you're a first time mom. And then they're rushing in at like 10 centimeters and it's traumatic. Yeah. Yeah. And listen, there are times where sure we're going to get it wrong. Like we all do. We don't, we don't fully know what to expect, but knowing that you are the expert on your body. Definitely. Oh, it's a lot to digest. It is. Yeah. (laughs) Even as someone that hasn't, this was incredibly insightful to hear. So for those listening that have gone through this, I'm sure that this is, this is really helpful. So I will link, of course, your account, but what other resources do you have that you can offer to the moms listening um, that I can link in the show notes that might be helpful? Yeah, I have a podcast that I run that's all on birth trauma. Um, You can find it anywhere you listen to podcasts. It's just the Birth Trauma Mama podcast. Um, And yeah, I have an Instagram page and a TikTok. I am running a workshop actually specifically on those who can't have any more children after birth trauma um, coming up in June. That's on my page. You can find it. And yeah, so come join our community. We I want to say we have fun because it's it's usually pretty heavy over there, but you know, every now and then there's some fun, there's some fun reels. There's some, we laugh. We definitely laugh at our experience because what else can you do at a certain point? But yeah. um, Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on this. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so, so much for tuning in to today's episode. I realize this was a heavy one. I hope this is exactly what you needed to hear if you have experienced birth trauma or if you were preparing for an upcoming birth. Again, it was heavy. If you enjoyed it, it would mean the world to me if you could scroll down on my podcast page, leave a rating and a short review if you have time. Of course, please, please subscribe to listen to all past and future episodes, and share it with your friends. Thanks for tuning in. For more, follow along on Instagram at mybestmomfriend. I'll see you again next time.